so it seems like God has called you to do something, but he hasn't yet given you the green light. Don't get frustrated, get focused. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains how and why you should make the most of your present situation while you wait for God's go-ahead. Continuing the series, The Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah with the conclusion of his message, David the King. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're very thankful to have you, and I hope that you are benefiting from our study of the life of David in the Old Testament. Today, we turn to Second uh, Samuel chapters 2 through 5, and uh, we are going to finish up our discussion of the ascent of David to the throne as the king of Israel. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to study this lesson, God's work done God's way. How many of you know that God is just as interested in the method as he is in the result? We'll find it out tomorrow here on Turning Point. Once again, I remind you that the study guides for this series are available. There are two of them, volume one and two, under the title, The Tender Warrior. These study guides come to you with notes and applications and verses to look up and opportunities for you to grow your knowledge of the subject we're studying. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Don't forget, you can also get the CD packages from davidjeremiah.org. Go there today and look it over and see if maybe this isn't something you need to help you keep going and to share with others in your small group or your Sunday school class. God uses this material because it's just his word. And we want you to have the opportunity to use it after we have kind of prepared the meal. And thank you for taking advantage of that. We have been telling you every day about our tour to Israel, which is March the 12th through the 22nd of 2024. Let me just remind you again, those dates are fixed. Uh, We are taking reservations every single day. Uh, Some weeks since we announced this, we have taken over 100 reservations in one week. So you don't want to wait. Uh, Our limitations in Israel happen to be the number of rooms that we can get for people to stay in while we're there. And uh, we think we have the limit. And if that's true, we are going to have to say no to some people at the end of this registration process. So please don't wait until the last moment. Um, Make sure you get your registration straightened out right away. Plan to be with us in March as we head to Israel. Well, it's time to go back to our study of David the King, and uh, we're going to talk about his ascent to the throne one more time today here on Turning Point. I wish we had time to read every verse about David, and obviously if we did that, we'll never get through because there's 62 chapters on the life of David, and there are all kinds of little uh, subplots that are going on in his life, and we have to make some progress through this or we won't ever get finished. And so I need to just give you a little survey statement of the second chapter of 2 Samuel. You would not be surprised, I'm sure, to learn that when David was anointed king of Israel, there were still some who thought that Saul's sons should be king. When David was anointed king by Judah, there were still some people in Israel who wanted the son of Saul or one of his children to come to the throne. And so there was a faction now between these two camps. Over here was the friend of Saul by the name of Abner, And over here was the friend of David by the name of Joab. And if you read the second chapter, what you're going to see is conflict between Abner and Joab. Abner trying to fight for one of Saul's men to be king. Joab representing David, who has been anointed king by God. 
And they have this skirmish between these two factions. One of them is rather strange, I have to admit. In fact, if your Bibles are open, you might want to look at verses 14 through 16 in the second chapter. And let me explain to you what's happening. These two enemies, Joab and Abner, come together to try to discuss their differences. And the Bible says in verse 13 that they met together by the pool of Gibeon and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Now here's what they're going to do. Apparently, remembering Goliath and David, who who represented their nations in war, these two men decided it wasn't a good idea for all of their men to die, so they each chose 12 representatives. Abner had 12 men, Joab had 12 men, and now they decided they're going to let those 12 men fight it out, and whoever's left, whoever wins, well, that will be the person then who becomes the king. Now watch what happens. It didn't work. Let me tell you, it was a very bad idea. Here's what happened. And then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertaineth to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, and they all fell down together. All 24 of them got killed. They killed each other off. They went and grabbed each other by the head, and with one hand on the head and the other hand on the sword. I don't know exactly how they did this. I tried to figure this out in my mind, but it was... It was a total cancellation. They canceled each other out, and then they're all dead. I would suggest to you that one thing we could learn from that's probably not a good way to settle any disputes. So in the rest of the chapter now, the armies get involved, and what happens in general is that Saul's army is no match for Joab and David's army. In fact, later on in the chapter, you'll discover in verse 30, that Joab returned from following Abner when he had gathered all the people together. There lacked of David's servants 19 men plus one. So they only lost 20. David's army only lost 20. But notice in verse 31, But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and Abner's men so that 303 score men died. So David's men only lost 20. But of Saul's army under Abner, they lost 360. And to summarize it all up, uh, you can see in verse 1 of chapter 3 that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And before long, the house of Saul has totally been phased out, and David is in control. Now, listen carefully. Here's what's involved in all of this. Even after David was anointed king, even after he was put into the place of responsibility, you still do not see David aggressively going out and trying to annihilate all the competition. But he awaits the moment of confrontation as it comes to him. And when it comes to him, he faces it. But he doesn't initiate it. David has obviously learned to take life as God gives it out to him. To face it a day at a time as God puts it in front of him. To fight the battles that God allows allows him to fight and not to initiate any battles that God doesn't initiate. He allows God to gradually allow this kingdom, which is his in precept, to become his in practicality on God's terms, in God's way, according to God's time schedule. Now, I say all of that very quickly and very simply, but I got to tell you something. That is the hardest thing in the world anybody ever does. When you know that God has something for you to do, and you think you know what to do, but God is saying to you, not now. 
and you want to jump ahead and do it yourself, and yet you are forced to wait upon God's timing. And David is learning that lesson, and he has established himself now in leadership, and he has allowed himself to be God's responder, not God's initiator. The last principle that I want to share with you from these early days of David's life as king is this. And this is a very precious and and a rather sweet presentation of the sensitive spirit of this man we call King David. Number six is he remembered the promises he had made before he became the king. Now I want to say before we look at these verses that that again is unusual. Ask any politician that you know how many people forget the promises that are made to them on their way up the ladder. Here's a man who will promise anything if you will help him get elected. But then he gets elected and he can't even remember your name. It would have been easy for David to have come to this position of great power over the Jews, over the people of Israel, and have forgotten the promises he made. But remember, integrity is keeping a commitment after the circumstances under which the commitment was made have changed. And I want you to notice this little vignette in David's life that illustrates this principle. As you know from our study, Jonathan and David were friends, and on many occasions, David and Jonathan talked together about David's safety and his future. Jonathan often jeopardized his own life to help his friend David. On one occasion, as they were talking about the possibility that both of them had of being in a place of jeopardy, they had a a brief conversation about the future. And if we have our Bibles, we can look back in on that conversation for, for the sake of memory. And I'd like for you to do that by turning back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now, it's quite obvious as you read the story of David that Jonathan has come to understand that he's not ever going to be king after his father. Do you remember the time when Jonathan took off his royal robes and put them on David and said, here they are, David, you're going to be the king. I won't be the king. Jonathan knows that he will not be king over Israel, that God has chosen David in his place, and yet they're still friends. But I want you to note carefully what happens beginning at the 13th verse of the 20th chapter. Jonathan is talking now, and he is saying, The Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, and thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not. Now watch carefully. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. Here's what Jonathan said. He said, I want you to promise me that as long as I live, David, you'll be kind to me. But even after I die, I want you to be kind to me in this way. Don't destroy my seed. Don't destroy those that come from me in the household. Don't do anything bad to my sons and my grandsons and my great-grandsons. David, you promise me, you covenant with me that if I'm taken out, you will be good to my children. All right, now that's back in the middle of that period of time while David's waiting to be the king. And the interesting thing is, what will David do when the opportunity comes. Well, I happen to know, because it's in here. 
And I want you to join with me now in 2 Samuel chapter 4. The next little episode that we have to catch up on now is that David uh, has made this promise, and Jonathan did have a son. There's just a little verse about him, and it's 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now the story is that this little boy was five years old when word came that his daddy, Jonathan, had been killed and his grandfather had been killed with him. And when the nurse found out that both Jonathan and Saul had been killed, she tried to get Mephibosheth out into a place of safety. There's no details about the accident, but as she grabbed the little boy and tried to take him, something happened. They had a, a, obviously a very, very bad accident, and Mephibosheth was lamed in both legs so that he couldn't walk properly. Now, this is the son of Jonathan, and David has promised that he's going to take care of Jonathan's son. All right? Turn over in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want to read what it says. Chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodibar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face. And did reverence, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Verse 13. And Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Now that may not mean anything to you, but that tells me more about David than just about anything I could read. Jonathan's gone. Saul's gone. David's king. He's in the moment of glory. Everything swirls around David now. He's at the top. But he never forgot his promise. And he sought out that lame five-year-old boy and brought him to live in the kingdom and took care of him as long as he lived. Integrity is keeping a commitment after the circumstances under which the commitment are made have changed. David was a man after God's heart. David was a man of integrity. And you know, men and women, if God should bless you and promote you and put you in a place of greater influence than you now have. These six principles we've shared from David's life will work for you. I personally believe God expects us to be that kind of a person today. In our culture, as strange as it is sometimes, God expects us 
to be men of God, women of God, as he blesses us and promotes us. And we can stand apart from all of the craziness of the world system and show men and women today how a godly person, how a godly man, how a godly woman accepts advancement without losing their integrity. God is responsible to promote. God is. Uh, Asaph wrote a psalm that's included in the hymn book of the Old Testament along with many of David's songs. And Asaph wrote this psalm in Psalm 75. Listen to what he said. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. If your Bibles are still open to the book of 2 Samuel, in the 5th chapter and the 12th verse, you will see that David understood this principle. David knew that his promotion was from God. Notice verse 12. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. What did David understand? He knew that God had promoted him, that God had put him there. God had called him. God had now placed him. And there is not anything that is more crucial in the will of God than to know that you haven't made it happen, but God has made it happen. That you haven't manufactured it and forced it into place, but that you have waited as David waited those long years until God finally said, okay, David, now, now's the time. And then David, as he stood in that place of leadership, said... This is what God has done. I'm here because God has promoted me. At the age of 30, he is anointed as God's king. We read in verses 4 and 5 that David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So God promoted David put him in his place. But there's a second principle, and this is very important too. God is responsible to promote. We are responsible to prepare. Let me ask you something, people. What was David doing for all that 15 years between Bethlehem and Hebron? He was getting ready. God was preparing him. God was taking him through the various wickets in his life to teach him dependence, to teach him trust, to teach him how to wait, to teach him not to commune with himself, but to commune with God. God showed David the sins of Saul and the devastation of Saul's rebellion. And through all of that period of time, David was getting ready. He was being prepared. So when the moment came and God said, now the promotion of God and the preparation of David came together in one very moment momentous occasion and what God had done and what David was doing came together and there was a great marriage between the two young people this is a word especially for you and let me speak out of the background of a little bit of experience if God has called you and you sense it if you have a great desire to serve the Lord there's not anything that I know of that can get more frustrating than the the days of preparation When Don and I were in seminary at Dallas and I was studying and she was working, I was working and I was driving on the weekends to Fort Worth, Texas as as an intern to help pastor a church and work with the young people. 
Then we were coming back on Sunday nights after the long day and get ready for a whole day of study and classes begin on Tuesday. I remember many occasions when I told my wife, honey, why don't we just get out of here and go find a church someplace? I just want to preach and I want to serve. And boy, this is, I don't see how this relates. But I am so thankful I didn't do that. (laughs) It wasn't God's timing for me yet. And those were important days of preparation. I look back on those days now with gratitude to the Lord. I have been fishing out of that stream with gratitude to God for those days of preparation. God promotes, but we prepare. I often think of Caleb when I think of this. You know that Caleb prepared for 85 years before his moment came. (laughs) Poor man. Part of his preparation was burying people in the wilderness who had disobeyed God because he and Joshua were the only ones who'd been obedient. And every day he got up wondering, is this the day when God's going to do something with my life? But every day Caleb was in preparation. And at the age of 85, God said, okay, Caleb, now's the day. This is the time. And all through that period of time, he was being prepared of God. Listen, God promotes, but we prepare. And don't disdain the days of preparation. Had David not had those 15 years between his initial anointing and his ultimate place as the king of Israel, he would have been an abysmal failure as the leader of his people. But God prepared him through those events that transpired in his life. Do you know that uh, in many respects, what we see in the life of David is what's true of all of us. Let me explain. I was saved at Bethlehem in the sense that God said to me, you are chosen. You are my son. You are mine. In my eyes, you are perfect, but not yet. Someday you will be. Someday you will stand before me and you will be as I am. I already see you perfect in Jesus Christ, but not yet in practicality. One day in Hebron, I will be made perfect. And God will allow me to realize the full potential of everything that happened the day I gave my heart to Christ. But you know what? In between Bethlehem and Hebron, there's a lot of traveling, isn't there? Do you know what's in between those two places? Listen to me. I'll tell you what's there. Listen carefully. There are giants, and there are caves, and there's depression, and there's discouragement, and there's ups, and there's downs, and there's ins and outs. There's Saul's and Jonathan's and Mephibosheth's. And all of the things that we see in the life of David between the moment when he was told what he would be and the moment when he actually became that. That's where life is lived, isn't it? Between Bethlehem and Hebron. And what we see as we study the life of David is that through it all, God was faithful, wasn't he? Faithful is he who has called you. What's the rest of it? Who also will what? Do it. He will do it. Amen and amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have been a part of uh, our broadcast uh, series here in the month of July, you know that our special resource for the month is a book from Tara Lee Cobble, and it's called Who God Really Is. Actually, the title of the book is The God Shot. And it's 100 snapshots of God's character in Scripture written in a very inviting way. You can read one of these every day, and you can do that for 100 days and learn about the character of God. This is a really good book, and I hope you'll get your hands on it by sending a gift to Turning Point and asking for it. That's all you have to do during this month. Send a gift of any size and say, please send me the God shot, and we'll do it, and you'll have it very soon. Well... Today we have finished up our discussion of the rise uh, to the kingship of David. And tomorrow we're going to talk about doing God's work God's way as we move to the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel. I hope you join us then. We'll see you tomorrow right here on this good station. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series The Tender Warrior on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. A 17th century British official couldn't sleep worrying about an important meeting the next day. His servant said, Master, did God rule the world before we were born? 
The official said yes. And will he rule it after we're dead? Of course, the official said. And the servant continued, then why not let him rule this present moment and the outcome of your meeting tomorrow? The official considered his servant's words and slept soundly the rest of the night. Let's apply the servant's words to ourselves. If God has ruled the past and will rule the future, why not trust him to rule the present? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover reasons to trust God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.